Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set off. As they sailed, they fell as they sail, as they as they sailed, he that is Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down upon the lake, so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples woke Jesus up, shook him, Master, Master, we are going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they turned to one another and said, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. This is a a story you've probably heard before. Maybe even if you didn't go to church, you might have heard a story about Jesus and his power over the weather. It speaks to us a common and universal truth. The weather always declares how not in control of the world we are. Right? How many of you looked out your window this morning and gave a collective groan? <laughs> right? How many children are just heartbroken that this didn't come last night? So yes, tomorrow morning, no school, right? If you pray hard enough, maybe Jesus will hear. It's, it's interesting. We, we think we have so much control. I mean, we, we do. We have heating. We have air. We have good, strong roofs. We have people we can call. But then one storm knocks out the power. Netflix goes down, and your children don't know what to do, right? I mean, we are at the mercy of the weather, it declares to us in so many ways, so many fun ways, but in this instance, and in many instances, so many scary and terrifying ways that you and I are not in control. And I know how desperately many of you are trying to be in control. You are, you are working yourselves into a tizzy to remain in control. We try to control jobs and money and Maybe you focus on that and trying to climb the ladder. Maybe we try to control the people around us, our loved ones, through manipulation and statistically in this room, abuse. We harm, we fret, we worry, all to wrest control from this world that feels out of control and the people who constantly do what we don't want them to do. We want to steal that control back and hold it. And this story is so universal in the truth. Whether you're a Christian today or not a Christian at all, the truth is you are not in control. And you can try and you can kick and you can scream and you can threaten and you can abuse and you can do everything within your power. But one day the weather will remind you that it does not obey your voice. And this is a very important lesson. In fact, it's a very interesting situation that Jesus finds himself in. This is sort of one of these uh, 
um, things that interests me, and so I'll, I'll share it with you. I hope it interests you too. Here's just a little map. Maybe kind of set the put the setting in your mind. This is where the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is, and a lot of the stories that we have take place all the way through this region, all the way down this region right here of Israel. But here they are, and there's something interesting about the the um, the shape of this region. You have these mountain ranges right here, and of course the Mediterranean Sea right here. So you have the warm air that comes up across the mountains, but over here, we have cool air that pushes in, and so you have this nice little strip of danger, so that the weather shifts on a dime based on the warm and the cold that hits and drops sudden and violent storms right on top of the Sea of Galilee. So, you could be along the waters, I assume they were, they were expert fishermen, they were people who knew the business of water, they knew the business of boats, they filled that boat pretty full, 13 dudes at least, and off they go, maybe sitting a little low, it looks clear, it looks nice, but all of a the sudden there is a storm. How many of you feel like that was 2019 in a nutshell? Right? You're looking around and you're like, whoa, what? There's a storm. Like, I don't know how this happened. It was like smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden, boom, the storm just drops on you. It's sudden. It's violent. It reminds you again how not in control you are. Which then bears out another even scarier truth. One that we resist with all of ourselves. But I'm going to ask you to lean into for just a minute. Because you heard the disciples plead, didn't you? All in caps. In fact, there's no way for me to emphasize it in the way that it needs to be emphasized as the storm rages around them and the boat is full of water and here they are out eight miles across the sea, maybe four or five miles in, and they are going to drown. Master, master, we're going to drown because they know death is knocking. Because you are not just not in control, but you are also going to die. And the storm reminds us of that truth. The storm reminds us of how important every breath we have is. It reminds us of how valuable every moment is. Every time we're with people that we love and every time we're with people that we hate, it matters. The storms remind us of how valuable life is and how we must cling to it and love it. How it calls us to remember the things that will outlast our Amazon purchases, that will outlast our social media applications, that will outlast our jobs, that will outlast our health because our health is fading, even the most healthy of us. What will outlast all these things? The storms of our lives remind us. And today our technology, our pace of life, our ease of travel, the fact that we live in a secular society that doesn't give a lot of attention to God or to even the fact that it's going to end. One of the best rap songs of 2019 had this lovely line, because ain't no next life, so now I'm trying to live my best life. Ain't no next life, ain't no next life. So now I'm trying to live my best life. That, I would say, is a perfect song for the age, isn't it? 
Ain't no next life. So what do we got? I mean, how many times have you seen or heard people say something, trying to live my best life? Like, I just hear that all over the place right now. And I, um, I have to say, that sounds like a bump and party if the kids talk like that. I'm sure they don't. I don't know that they ever talk like that, but for some reason that's in my mind as something they might have said, we might have said one day. Um, but isn't that hollow? And isn't that just utterly meaningless, devoid of purpose? And I promise you that there will come a day, even if you sang along with Danny Brown, I promise you there will come a day where you will look in the mirror and living your best life will no longer satisfy. And you will ask for something bigger. Because there is something to me that proves the existence of God and it is right there that every single person I have met has asked the same question, what is the meaning of this life? Who do you think put that question in you? From whence do you think that question springs? If you are a tremendous accident of cosmic and biological chemistry, why in the world would there ever be purpose at all? And yet every single one of us has looked into the mirror or looked into the night and said, that is not fair. There has to be something more. And the storms remind us of that. Which is why I answer Danny Brown with another favorite song that no one in this room has heard. There's so much more to life than we've been told. It's full of beauty that will unfold. And you'll shine like you struck gold, my wayward son. This deadweight burden weighs a ton. So walk down to the river and let it run. Wash away all the things you've done. Forgiveness. So my friends, I call you in light of the storms that you have already experienced to recognize this truth, not as a truth that causes you to be morose or down, but a truth that calls you to remember what matters. A truth that calls you to lean in to the relationships that give life, that calls you to be faithful when it's very hard, that calls you to praise God in the midst of the storms, in the midst of your raging storms when you don't know what's next. Isn't that why we've told the story of Job? For 4,000 years, they're going to forget me. If I die tomorrow, you'll tell two stories and then I'll be a a remembrance, right? 4,000 years we've told the story of Job. Why? Because sitting on the dung heap, having lost everything, he said in faith, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. I don't have any idea what it's all about, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that why we tell that story? Because you're going to end up on the heap, no matter what. So why not end up there with God? Why not end up there with someone to hold on to, with something grand to hold on to? This is why the psalmist says in that beloved psalm from 42, that be, Psalm 42 that opens up with this, this desperate deer that's panting. It's, it's dying of thirst, stumbling through the woods, looking for water because you can't turn on a faucet in the woods. You have to find it. And the deer is stumbling, panicking. Where is the water? I need the water. I need life. And the psalmist says, My tears have been my food. Day and night, 
while people said to me all day long, where is your God? When's he showing up? All I see is storms. I don't see God anywhere. What do you do in the midst of the storm? The psalmist says, this is what I have said to myself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In the storm, David remembers to praise God, to hope in God. The storm is not the time to give up. It is not the moment to shrink back. It's not the moment to sort of say, well, this is too hard, I'm going to give up. It is the moment where we have begun to empty ourselves. The storm is the moment where we're no longer under the illusion that we're under control of the world or of our life or of our friends or of our job or of anything else. The storm is the moment where I encourage you not just to praise God in the midst of the storm, but to praise God for the storm. Nothing will confuse your friends and your enemies like you praising God for your trials and tribulations. You're going to look like a lunatic. But by doing such a crazy thing, you have open space for God to act. And isn't that the whole point? Haven't you come here hoping that God would act? To hear a word, to, to learn a thing, to say, how can God act? I, I need help. How can God act? Well, how can God act? God can act like this. Give him room to act. Embrace your weaknesses, not your strength. Isn't it interesting that Paul, the greatest, we might say, of the New Testament authors, and that he wrote half of our New Testament, bold, courageous, Miracle worker, all kinds of things. And what did he have to say? He said, God, this is God, he's talking about this situation where he has a pain and we don't know what it is, a thorn in the flesh, he calls it metaphorically, some sort of thing that is drawing him down into the depths of hopelessness, into the depths of despair, into self-loathing or depression or fear or even physical ailment we're not sure what it is but whatever it is it has drawn him down and God spoke a word to the most mighty preacher that we have record of and God said this to him my grace is enough for you just hang on to that for a second my grace is enough for you if God's grace is enough for the guy who wrote half of our new testament God's grace is surely enough for you, surely enough for me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. How many of you have had an interview where somebody said, tell me your strengths and tell me your weaknesses, right? And how many of you lied completely in the weakness section? Oh, Eric Dush is the only, and Jack, thank you. Two honest men in the room. Thank God that Jack is up for election today. He raised his hand. We just got an honest. You might not want to elect him now that he rose his hand for that, now that we know he lies, but I'm just kidding. We've all done that, haven't we? Or we try to take that thing and try to make that weak. You know, my weakness is just I care too much about my work, you know? I just want to work too hard for you. That's my real problem. Because the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of life, the wisdom of everything we have ever experienced is this. The strong survive and the weak fall. Correct? Correct? Correct. 
And what does Paul say here? He says, that makes perfect sense. I get why you you would think that. But let me describe to you the fact that there is a God who made the whole universe. And he wants you to learn an important truth. He made the whole universe. You did not. The wind and the waves obey his name. You can say all the things you want. You can say all the foul things, all the happy things. You can scream all you want. But it only obeys the name of Jesus. And so we're called then, I think, to recognize this, 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 this complete illogical thing in worldly wisdom. But you can see how through the eyes of faith this makes complete sense. That in my weakness, the moment where I stop trying to hold on, the moment I stop trying to control, the, stop, the moment I tra- stop trying to manipulate, the moment I stop trying to, to hold it all together by my own force of will because of my own plans and thought about life, and I allow the fact that I am adrift and God controls the currents, I will not only become more relaxed, but more safe. And in the midst of all of that, God's glory can shine because his glory shines not when you look strong, but when you are on your knees. When you are in weakness, God's strength must take over. So let me say scandalously, praise God in the midst of your storms, but praise God for your storms. Because it brings out your weaknesses. And your weaknesses bring out God's glory if you lean into it and let it be a chance for God to express his glory. Does that make sense? It's a powerful thing to recognize the strength of the storm and what it can do for our lives. And so I know this is a bit of a bumper sticker and I don't know, maybe it's out there already. I've never seen it before. It's super, super cheesy, but... But here we are, praise, not panic. Because I think in the sense of what we see in the disciples, I can't fault those guys. Uh, I freak out way worse than they were, and I've never been almost drowning, right? I mean, how much complaining did you do to God last week, and you didn't have any kinds of hardships, persecutions, calamities, weaknesses, and insults, right? It was just kind of a crappy week, Eh. Didn't like my job. But these are like serious things. Like Even when they're throwing rocks at my head, in that weakness, God shines. Scandalous. So I call upon you to not not wake up Jesus. Like the answer for the disciples was not like, well, let's sit back and we'll just see what happens. No, you know, like, listen, if you're about to drown, you should say a prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Disciples wake up Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe they could have done it with a bit of... um, you know, hey, Jesus, there's a bit of a storm. I don't know if you've noticed, our feet are very wet. We're wondering if you could maybe do some razzle-dazzle, you know, fix this thing. You know, you got, the, you got the stuff. My point is just to say that in the moment when you are suffering and struggling, the answer to this story is not, well, be quiet and just let faith take you through. Wake Jesus up. <laughs> Wake him up. He's still the one the wind and the waves listen to. But we don't need to be panicked about it. There is so much panic right now. So much freaking out. So much grasping. So much pulling at it. Because there is so much to be afraid of. But it's only so much to be afraid of if we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is control of the wind and the waves. And that he can speak peace and he can speak calamity. And so we call upon him. I... 
I love that quote um, from last, I remember it was last two weeks ago. I don't remember when it was, we, the Brennan Manning thing we showed. And to paraphrase it again, this, the beautiful idea that sometimes when we're in the midst of the storm, and this is something I wanted to say as well, sometimes when we're in the midst of the storm, we feel like it's our fault, and sometimes it is. I've made a lot of stupid storm decisions in my life. Can I get a witness, right? But sometimes bad things happen, right? Sometimes it isn't our fault at all. Sometimes God brings us through it to teach us. There are so many different reasons for why the storm is raging around you. The first thing to not do is to pour shame and guilt upon yourself and say, God must not love me. I must not be walking in faith. This storm is proof that God is not on my side. False, 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 false. Didn't we just read Paul? Talked about hardships and calamity and stuff like that. Like, God is moving you through the storm because the storm is the purging fire that will give you the faith that will give you the strength that when the next hard time comes you can stand firm for you and for everyone around you and that today is the most important thing for Christians to stand up and not freak out and have hope and point people consistently whoever is in power whatever is in happening whatever's on the news look to Jesus look to Jesus look to Jesus because every Everything else is changing, but Jesus is staying the same. So fix yourself to the rock, because the storm's coming, like it or not. And if you fix yourself to the rock, the storm can howl, and it can beat, and it can batter, and it can scream, and it can cause all kinds of damage around. And you might be sitting in the rubble of it right now, but God can rebuild everything. And if we put ourselves in his control and his power, everything becomes possible because his strength is made prominent, powerful, visible in our weakness. And that is why we exist, brothers and sisters. We exist to declare and to display the glory of God. And this not only brings us great joy, but God great joy. And it just happens to also be happy and lovely and it will spread righteousness and justice throughout the world. So let's spread some praise. And let's resist panic. It's interesting how powerful the imagery of storms and water is. In fact, if you pay attention, it actually is a theme that sort of runs through all of your scripture. You might remember that Genesis opens up. It opens up with this image of God. And God is hovering over the face of the deep. You remember that? This is in direct contradiction to the, to the, the myths the, the origin of the universe. Everybody tells a story about how we came to be, how this all started. And the stories back then were these gods of chaos and water, raging and teeming and warring and cutting and bleeding and doing all kinds of crazy, horrible, very human, capricious things. These were the gods that started the war, the raging waters. The story that they had about the world was that it blew up in chaos Genesis tells a different kind of story not a story of violence and chaos but a story of silence and stillness that this water this water lay still 
And God was still over it. And God, not with violence, not with power, not with masculinity, I guess, but with a clear voice said, let there be light. And there was. And then throughout the rest of the story, all kinds of storms rage. All kinds of hurt and all kinds of failure and all kinds of messages from God that people either don't listen to or get wrong or don't listen to. And the waters rage. And then we get to the very end. And we get this image of God who has brought an answer to all of that hurt who has brought restoration and redemption to all of that brokenness all of those things that have died in us and near us and we have this image then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and here the sea was no more No more storms. No more storms. In fact, maybe even this week when you're going through a rough patch, kind of pull some charismatic out of your back pocket and just say, no more storms. And remember that that day is coming. A new heaven and a new earth because the first had passed away and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride for her husband. And behold, a loud voice came from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and in the midst of them... He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain or anything like this for the former things have passed away. The storms are gone and the God of calm waters is in our midst. And that is a promise. And that promise is alive today. And the call of the church and the call of the scriptures, the call of the bride and the spirit as it's put here in Revelation is this. The storm is coming. Why go through it alone? The storm is coming. And if you don't fix yourself to something greater than you, the storm will drown you. The storm is coming. And praise God, there is a rock to which we may flee and clamor up on top of and build our lives upon it that we might echo the praises of our God who will see us through every single storm. Let us cling to that promise and be the people of praise and not panic this week. Let us stand in praise. This beautiful song, this beautiful song we have to Jesus, I love it. I love this. It's going to end with the beautiful old hymn nothing but the blood of Jesus and I want to hear you yelling it as though it was true and the one thing that would save